Today we're going to be reading from the Gospel of John. Before we do that, just a couple comments. We're focusing on today the subject of God's grace. And I don't like calling it a subject or a topic because it's more an experience. It's like love or joy. You can define it, you can talk about it, but unless you experience it, you don't know really what it is. Same with God's grace. We want to intellectually understand the concept, but more important, we want to experience it more and more in our lives. And even as a church, we teach, we preach about grace, but more and more we want to experience God's grace so it permeates our hearts and lives and so that as a community of God's people, we are then grace givers or we are gracious, those who overflow with the grace of God, and like we're going to see with the Samaritan woman, want to, desire to, will, by the power of his spirit, communicate that grace, not only in our own relationships with each other, but also in the world around us. So, we're going to read the story of Christ meeting with the Samaritan woman and communicating to her his grace, compassion, love, it really is an illustration of the gospel of grace. Before we read it, just important to note, as many of you already know, Samaritans who were from the area of Samaria were half Jews, a mixed race. And so in that day, especially, they were despised, looked down upon by the Jews. Jews would not... Um, use dishes used by the Samaritans, would not even travel through their country, would avoid Samaria, uh, and oftentimes didn't even bother to associate with Samaritans. So um, with that in mind, we'll see here how wonderful, how gracious it was of Christ to go to Samaria and to meet with the Samaritan woman. We're reading from John chapter 4. All right, uh, reading initially from John 4, 1 through 30. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sachar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there as well, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man now you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where try again, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am, sorry, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And further we read verses 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they argued with him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we again bow before you. We acknowledge that you have given us this God-breathed revelation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, by the power of your spirit, given this word to John to write down, that we could read it this morning and again be Reminded of who you are, what you've done, and also then know who we are and who you call us to be. So Lord, bless both the reading of your word, the proclamation of your word this day to our hearts and lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. This morning... A theme text we're focusing on, as I said earlier, grace. 
the gospel of grace, taking as a theme text to overlay the passage, the illustration that we just read of Jesus meeting with the Samaritan woman, these verses from Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Four points this morning. Grace is a gift, number one, by definition. Number two, grace is given, demonstrated in this illustration with the Samaritan woman. And number three, grace is found in Christ. He embodies God's gift or God's grace. And finally, grace must be, will be, communicated, declared, professed. So first of all, grace is a gift by definition. We read verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The gift of God, first of all, is salvation. Ultimately, the whole package of salvation we find in Christ. But we've often defined it as unmerited or unearned favor. Kindness shown to you that you didn't earn and you don't deserve. When someone is given a gift, sometimes we say the words, just a little cliche that comes out, well, they surely deserve that. Well, no, not if they received a gift. If we give them a gift, they don't deserve it. Otherwise, it's not a gift. That's the very definition of a gift. The difference between mercy and grace, mercy is not getting what you deserve. If I hit you, get angry with you and hit you, what do I deserve? What? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that's just justice. I deserve to be hit back. Now for you to show me mercy would mean you don't punch me back, you don't hit me back. You're not giving me what I deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve getting something good that you don't deserve. So, carrying on that illustration, I punch you, and not only do you not punch me back, that's an example of mercy, but if you extend to me forgiveness, that's grace. Unmerited favor. You ever say to someone after they buy you a lunch or they do you some act of kindness, well, I owe you one. You ever say that? No? Well, that's good. Then you understand grace. <laughs> but that's sometimes we say that, right? They buy, oh, now I owe you one. Well, no, you don't owe them unless it's not a gift and you have to pay them back because a gift, again, is by its very nature free. It's all of grace. It can't be bought or earned. Otherwise, it's a payment. And we've got to get this deeply into our souls to understand the gift of God that we have in Christ, this gift of salvation. You can't earn it. Another example, mothers, moms. Do your children have to earn your love by your affection? You love them when they're good, but when they're bad, they fall out of your good graces. And then they have to win back your love? No. Do you expect, this is for parents, do you expect your children to pay you back for all your giving, all your sacrificing someday when they're grown up? Just raise your hand. Well, it wouldn't be bad, a little payback, but you don't operate that way, do you? It's all a gift. It's all of grace. We just want them to receive it. 
The point is, the same is true with God. His gift of salvation, which includes being forgiven, being right with him, being his child, knowing his love, you can't buy that. You can't earn that. You don't work your way up the ladder to get into his good graces because it's all a gift. The whole package is a gift that he gives, and it's by faith. Our theme passage, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. The whole thing is a gift of God. You don't have to get in the right place to get the gift. God gives it to you. You simply have to receive it. Sometimes we think and we live as though God loves and saves and cares for those people who are good. So when we're good, he's really caring for us. If we do enough good in this life and it outweighs the bad, we go to heaven. That's the way the world operates. What does Jesus say? I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Let me ask you, is anyone ever born since Adam, since the fall, healthy? No. We're all sick. We're all sinners. He says, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. I came for those who see their need. And that's important. See their need for a Savior. They recognize what this woman didn't recognize, her spiritual thirst, who recognized their thirst. And that brings me to the illustration, the second point. Grace is given here to the Samaritan woman. We see a demonstration here, an example of grace given. And it's all the way through the passage. In verse 4, we read the words. John makes a point of saying this. He had to go through Samaria. Well, no, he didn't. Geographically, yes, it was the shortest way to go from Galilee, if you're going to Judea or Judea up to Galilee, to go through Samaria. But you could have easily gone east of the Jordan and around Samaria. Samaria, And no holy man, especially a Jewish rabbi, no self-respecting Jew in those days would have gone through Samaria. They would have gone around. But... He had to go because he is God. And in the town of Samaria, there was a woman. She didn't wake up that morning and go, oh, today I get to meet Jesus in God's sovereign grace, God's sovereign plan. And think about that for our lives. Every detail is worked out. He had to go to Samaria because there was a woman there, a Samaritan woman that he had to meet with who was thirsty, spiritually thirsty. But she didn't know it. She didn't recognize that she had stopped it for so long. He came for those who are sick in need of living water, so he had to go through Samaria. In verse 7, he meets her at the well outside the city and he talks to her. He makes conversation and he asks her for a drink of water. Well, so what? Big deal. And it was in that culture. Look at her response. She says it. She recognizes it. John 4, verse 9, Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And the little footnote in my Bible says, that the translation there could be also 
where it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, it could be, or do not use dishes the Samaritans have used. So even the idea that she would take her cup or her bucket and get the water and then give it to them by rights, by, by all customs of that day, propriety would say, he shouldn't use that. He shouldn't, and that's why she's, she's, she's aghast. What? You, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? The disciples come later at verse 27. They're surprised he's talking with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. Unheard of, just not done in those days. The rules and the customs were against such things. What would people say? And you remember later, the religious leaders mock him because what, who does he hang out with? Who does he eat with? He eats with, he has banquets with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, the outcasts of society. And why them? Why does he do that? Why doesn't he hang out with the religious leaders? Because they knew they needed a savior. That they were sinners. That they have experienced and they know rejection and shame. They know, even if they didn't recognize it and it had to be brought to their attention, they know they've experienced this spiritual hunger and thirst. That they ultimately need a savior and you have to remember that where does Jesus meet you a lot of times we think Jesus meets us when we're good when we have our life together our act together I'll get my life together then I'll go to church or or, or in the church that's where he's no where does Jesus meet us where does he want us to be those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness not the self-righteous those who understand that they're sick, those he meets us with our need. A lot of times when we have certain sins in our lives and we're committing those sins and, and, and then we, we've done it again and then we feel such shame and, and so then we think, well, I can't go to God right now. I've, I've got to get my act together again or I've got to pray some. Uh, no, he, right then and there, that's when we need to go to him with our sin. Because he came for sinners. You don't long for a cure for cancer until you have it or your loved one has it. You don't long for a glass of water until you've been in the desert for two or three days without it. Martin Luther, great reformer in his book, The Bondage of the Will, he writes this, God has assuredly promised his grace to the humble that is to those who lament and despair of themselves. But no man can be thoroughly humbled until he knows that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, devices, endeavors, will, and works, and depends entirely on the choice, the will, the work of another, namely of God alone. For as long as he is persuaded that he himself can do even the least thing toward his salvation, he retains some self-confidence and does not altogether despair of himself, and therefore he is not humble before God, but presumes that there is, or at least hopes or desires there may be, some place, time, or work for him by which he may at length attain to salvation. But when a man has no doubt that everything depends on the will of God, then he completely despairs of himself and chooses nothing for himself but waits for God to work. And then he has come close to grace. It's all of God. 
This Samaritan woman, she knows this humility, this despair, this rejection. Because what do we note in the text? What does Jesus say to her? Verses 17 and 18. He says, you've been divorced five times and the man you're living with is not your husband. Now often when we read this, we think, oh, she must have been a very immoral woman to have five husbands divorce her. But the truth of the matter is that back then, more male-dominated society in which a man could, and a man was, he had the prerogative, he could divorce, and if she burned the meal, and if he wasn't tired of her, he'd divorce her. A man would divorce. A woman, on the other hand, did not have necessarily those rights. In fact, we read of the woman caught in adultery, and then when they're caught in adultery, if they were caught in adultery, what happens? They get stoned to death. This woman's been divorced five times. You want to talk about rejection. Humiliation. And note what hour she's coming to the well. The sixth hour. The sixth hour is 12 noon. At the heat of the day, the hottest time of the day. Back then the women would have gone to, to get the water from the well, usually in the mornings or in the evenings, but not at, not, not at noon. Here she is coming by herself. Why? She's a social outcast. You might want to ask, well, why does Jesus bring up this painful past? Doesn't seem too kind or gracious. He says, he says to her, you have had five husbands. She wasn't talking about it. He says, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. And then, 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 she's, then he says, you have had five husbands, and the man you're now living with is not married to you. Oh, that hurts. Why does he bring it up? Because the doctor cannot remove the cancer without the surgery. He uncovers her spiritual thirst. We humans, in order to survive in this broken world... Because of our own sins and because of those who sin against us. Because of hard or difficult circumstances. We often stuff the pain. We stuff the past. We stuff the screw-ups, the failures, the rejections, the sins, and the pain and the heartaches. And oftentimes we harden our hearts over and we maybe even become cynical. cynical and we'll keep things on the surface. Exactly what the Samaritan woman does. He brings up her heartache. He brings up the fact that she's been rejected five times and the man she's living with won't marry her. And what's her response? Well, let's talk religion. She avoids the subject. She says, you Jews, you say we must worship in Jerusalem, but we say Mount Gerizim. Which is it? You see, we want to keep it on the surface because it's so painful underneath but Jesus didn't come into this desert wilderness this broken world to bring us more religion more ways to be self-righteous more ways to cover up more ways to be distant and tough more burdens and more guilt and more shame and more failure he came to show us our need for God to show us our thirst so to bring us to God to himself to living water, into a living relationship with God that removes 
the disgrace and gives us the grace of God. That's the third point. Grace is found in Christ, in the gift, God's gift of grace, full salvation, abundant life, and understand all of it, the whole package. Recognizing your sin and, and being convicted that you're a sinner. Regeneration, being born of the Holy Spirit. Justification, coming to know you're right with God, that your sins are forgiven. Sanctification, glorification, the whole thing, the whole package is a gift. And it's found in the person in faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, the simple receiving of Jesus Christ as your Savior. Guess what? You have the whole thing. It's not someday you get it. Not someday I hope I get it. The Heidelberg Catechism question answer 60 says we have been forgiven. How so? How much so? As though we had never sinned. As though we had been righteous from day one all the way to the end. And where do you get that? It's found by faith. For by grace we've been saved through faith. By faith in Christ you get it all. The Samaritan woman says, we've been looking for the Christ. And what does Jesus say? I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. Elsewhere he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not by our works. It's not when I get my act together. It's not when I stop sinning. It's not when I go to church. It's not when I get my life in order. Then God's going to receive me. No. By simple faith receiving the gift of salvation. It's by grace. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't get God on your side. He gets you on his side. Dr. Steve Brown in his book, When Being Good Isn't Good Enough, he mentions an illustration that someone came up with. Illustration is this. When you die, you come to the gates of heaven and there the angels pull out a huge scale. And on the right side, your good works are placed. And on the left side, the bad works are placed. And just when it looks like the bad is going to outweigh the good, two bloody nails fall from the heavens and they fall on the good side and the good side wins. And he says in his book, that illustration is from hell. It's from Satan. It's as though we have to live a good life, do our works, and then Jesus adds the cross to it. No. He paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid it all. All our guilt, all our unbelief, all our shame, all our sins, he bore on the cross. People of God, by faith in Jesus Christ, you are, if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, those scales, the law of God, have been broken, torn away, thrown away, because you do not relate to God the Father Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. You do not relate to him through his law but through the shed blood, the person, the work of Jesus Christ. 
as though we've never sinned, fully accepted, secure, a gift that no one can take away. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 8? What can separate us from the love of God? What? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not in heaven or in hell. Nothing. It's a gift. Samaritan woman came to faith that day. She believed in Jesus Christ. And how do we know that? She heads home, back into town. Now she's talking. Now she's communicating. I mean, literally the whole town, as it were, comes out to see Jesus. Now she, she must have, t- she's told everyone. And that's the fourth point. Grace will be, must be communicated. It's too good to be, it's too good to hold in, to keep to yourself. And did you notice, and you got to he- hear this, did you notice what her testimony was? Verse 29 She goes into town. She leaves her water jar. She plans on coming back. She said to the people, this is the social outcast, the woman who's coming to the well at noon, high noon. She does not talk to people. Now she's telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. What's her testimony? Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? In verse 30, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And what was the woman's testimony? He told me everything I ever did. Doesn't that sound strange? What's her testimony? What did she go on? He told me everything I ever did. How would you like it? If... Your spouse or, or, or your neighbor or someone could, could actually look into your life and look into your eyes and, and be able to tell you your secret and dark sins. And, ooh, that's rather eerie. Look into your soul and be able to, to know what you've been hiding, what you've been stuffing all these years. Now, you could say what impressed her, that Jesus had the power to know her past. But I think what really convinced her that he was the Christ, this Christ, this Jesus, as he uncovered her sin and brokenness, he knew her past. But notice this, he did not come to condemn her. She had had five husbands who also knew her past. And they brought it up too. To shame her, to condemn her, and finally to utterly reject her by divorcing her. Jesus, on the other hand, he knew her past. He brought up her past not to reject her, not to divorce her, not to shame her, but in order to bring her to himself. In order that she might see her need and her thirst and see that she needed Christ the gift of living water, a relationship of life, of faith in him. The other five husbands brought it up to reject her. This is the bridegroom, the bridegroom, and he brought it up in order to be married to her, that she be part of the bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Dr. Timothy Keller, some of you may know of him. 
He passed away this past week, May 19th, 72 years old of cancer. PCA pastor in New York City. He writes this about this passage. To be loved but not known is nice. But since they don't really know, it's not that satisfying. To be known and not loved is our greatest nightmare. That's why we cover up and make sure people don't see all the stuff that's in there. But to be known to the bottom and loved to the sky by the only person in the whole universe whose opinion really counts is a solid foundation on which you can really build your life because circumstances cannot touch that. What's your testimony? He has known me to the bottom and loved me to the sky. He has uncovered my past, my sin and my shame and my idols, my looking for love in all the wrong places, not to condemn me, but to bring me to himself. I deserve to be cast away. What I experience is grace. He has shown me the depths of my badness so I could know the heights of his goodness. He has shown me my unrighteousness so that I could know his righteousness. He has shown me my disgrace so that I could know his grace. You see, people of God, that's amazing grace that saved a wretch like you and me. A gift, a gift given through Christ that must be, that will be communicated. Go from this place rejoicing. If you are a believer, you are a child of God, you are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. You can't get any higher or better than that. Go out of this place telling the world they're dying to hear it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for going, experiencing hell in our place. Going to the bottom, that we might be loved to the sky and to the heaven itself. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing grace. Thank you for this gift. Thank you that you did not leave us lost in our sins, but you came to our loneliness to our heartaches to our rejection you came into our sin and brokenness you paid for it but you met us us lost sheep and you found us even when we weren't looking for you you met us and showed us our thirst have given us this living water Lord may we go out of this place today rejoicing in this great gift of full and complete salvation, to you be the glory. In your name we pray, amen.